2: Welcome back, hour number two of the huddle. If you missed anything from our very exciting first hour, we had a lot of fun, talked some gophers. We talked a lot of gophers. Uh, you can get that uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the podcast is up now on the free Odyssey app, but you can download, a, download that anywhere you'd like. Uh, welcome to the Jaron Hall era of the Minnesota Vikings football team. We don't know how long it will last. It could be a quarter. It could be a game. Maybe it's forever. Maybe he's the next Brock Purdy. I don't think so, but you never know, right? Nobody thought Brock Purdy was Brock Purdy before he was Brock Purdy. Um, the interesting thing to, that I'm going to watch today is one, how this offense will have to be changed and stripped down. Uh, two, how long are they going to give Jaron Hall? Because I think, Pete, that there's a fine line here. Uh, and, and to understand that he is still a rookie and that sometimes you can do more harm than good by letting a very even a talented rookie, even the most talented rookies, play too long. What I mean by that is, it, is if this listen, he's without his best wide receiver today. They're going to be without. Uh, they're going to be without. As they're going to be without uh, Christian Darius out today. Excuse me, Ezra Cleveland as well. He got traded this week. So this offense is not a finely tuned, amazing, well-oiled machine that he's stepping into. And and so what Kevin O'Connell needs to ask himself is. At what point here are we letting this kid learn? Are we seeing what he has? But at what point are we also – is he in there too early and is it going to damage his development? And and we've seen that so many times with quarterbacks. He, just in this franchise alone, we've seen it. Now, I'm not saying Christian Ponder was going to be the next Brett Favre, but <laughs> I think we can all agree that Christian Ponder, one of the things that was an issue from him is that he got thrown in there too early, developed happy feet, and never got rid of them. Jaron Hall's not Christian Ponder. Jaron Hall's also not Brett Favre. But what is Jaron Hall? We'll find out. But I actually think that while they should give him some time, and they, they certainly need to give him time today to see how he can do, the Falcons are not a not, are a pretty good opponent, I think, for your first game out as a rookie. Yeah. But I think that there's also going to be a point there where they've got to go, okay, are we getting this guy crushed? Because uh, one of the things we've said about Kirk Cousins all along is he can't, he takes a beating back there. And, and he keeps coming back. He takes a look and he keeps on ticking. And that, that is Kirk Cousins in a nutshell, <laughs> except when he no longer has an Achilles. And, by the way, the irony that it was a non-contact injury to a guy that's taken so many hits is not lost on me, Pete. If, if you're Kevin O'Connell, mm-hmm. how long is the leash today for Jaron Hall? How long will you leave him out there before? You, or if, if he's doing great, obviously you will. Mm-hmm. But, what are you looking for to decide whether he stays in and whether you go to Josh Dobbs, who you know is this engineering genius who apparently can absorb any playbook no problem
3: yeah he 's a genius, but nonetheless uh, different atmosphere, different team, different teammates, different receivers all those things I think are factors that would be have to be taken in by McConnell quite honestly, I think. I don't I don't think there's I think he has all the room in the world for for Jaron Hall to show us what he can do. And he looked okay. Obviously, he didn't play just a couple of plays. But I think that the reality is uh, that 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 bothers me, quite honestly, Dave, is when we were in the draft, you and I've talked about this many times. But why would we wait? We keep pushing back a quarterback to be somewhere working with uh, with Kirk, right? Because Kirk's not exactly young. And and why did we wait? And then this year we suddenly decide to go for a quarterback, but we wait till almost the sixth round. So let's just understand who Jaron Hall is in, in terms of where he was ranked amongst the quarterbacks that were in the draft. I think as far as the game today, though, I think we've got a lot of pieces of the puzzle. KJ, I think gets better and better every week. Addison is a, turned into a really great receiver, great first round draft pick by the Vikings with that one. And of course we've got the tight ends that we've got. So I think that he's got a table set for him to have success. He's got players around him. What I don't understand is we've had issues with Dariusoph. If 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 we've got the ups and downs of of his health and we've had it, you know, for a big chunk of the year, why did we get rid of Ezra Cleveland? He, mm. wasn't he one of the guys uh, on the offensive line that was kind of like a uh, I don't know, a Swiss Army knife. He he could step into different spots and yeah. be there. And and I think that what happens and you just said it, I, Kirk gets hit on every single play. When he yes. throws the ball, he gets hit. <laughs> is it all sacks? No. But uh, Desmond Ritter, who's uh, who's not going to be playing today for <laughs> Atlanta, that's going to be interesting as well because he's been sacked a lot, 25 times this year. And it's going to be interesting because now all of a sudden you get Taylor Heineke. How's he going to do against the Vikings defense? Is our, Former
2: Viking Taylor Heineke too. Right. And I think yep. that
3: the, the biggest thing for me is going to be this. Can the Vikings stop Bijan Robinson? Because that guy is electric. He's a phenomenal running back. We all knew that coming out of Texas, how g- great he was. Shoot, the guy almost is five yards a carry this year, and he's he looks the part. He looks like that guy. That When I look at Atlanta right now, they, they have a team where the offensive line is a much better run-blocking line. Now they've got a great running back. It could be pretty interesting, and I think that the Vikings are going to have their hands full, I would think, just because – that's our weakness. I, I don't think we're we're very good against the run unless we do something different. We we change our defense around a little bit to try to fill up some of the holes. But I think the reality is that this is gonna be an interesting game to see how does how does a quarterback who has almost no experience at all in the NFL do against an Atlanta team that's pretty average because this we don't have to worry about the fact that this is the 49ers for him to have to play against. It's not the Philadelphia Eagles, it's Atlanta. And Atlanta's four wins are against terrible teams overall. Just very av- – Carolina, Green Bay, Texan, the Texans, the Buccaneers. Those. This is a, a team that I think is is there for Jaron Hall to rip apart if he can step up to the plate. And I guess we'll find that out not too long.
2: Pete, in your, your estimation, and obviously playbooks become more and more um, complex every single yeah. year. How difficult is it, even for a guy who's smart, even for a guy who's, who's as well-traveled as Josh Dobbs is, how difficult is it to to really get in, digest a playbook, and be ready to play if needed on the following Sunday when you came in on a Tuesday?
3: I think it's awfully tough. Uh, you, yeah. you, you said it. I mean, the, the reality is everybody's got a different playbook. Everybody calls plays a different way, different terminology. I don't care how smart you are. You need reps, and and, and he is brilliant. We all know that. He's, he's got this great background from college and everything. He's a really sharp guy. But let's be honest. Is, is he the savior? I don't know. He's, he's thrown eight touchdowns and has five interceptions this year. I don't, I don't know that if if he ends up getting into the game, even with his intellect and he's able to digest everything from the playbook, is this guy, are we expecting too much from him? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Uh, I I just don't know why we think that this is the be-all, end-all answer to our problems. Because, let's be honest, quarterbacks that throw almost as many interceptions as touchdowns—that's about as average or below average as you can get. And that that's something we all look at is accuracy. Who's who's doing what, and and if he doesn't have the plays down perfectly and you've got the secondary that could can maybe jump on some of these plays Mm -hmm. there could be some issues out there where he maybe is trying to throw to kj who's gonna maybe go to a fade route but he doesn't know that he thinks he's gonna stop whatever the case may be that's the problem that when you're trying to put in a playbook in just a couple of days into somebody's head those those things do come up and that could be a problem for him
2: i'll say this too um Kudos to Kwesi Doflimens and Kevin O'Connell. I mean, they, they, they really did do the best possible thing, I think, that they could without mortgaging the future on it and getting Josh Dobbs. Uh, if you, depending on who you read, they kicked around every tire that they could, including maybe even trying to find a way to get, um, e- either Trey Lance or Dak Prescott or one of the, you know, one of the two up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably Trey Lance. But, you know, again, this was, this is a band aid. Which is what they need, and then they're going to see where it shakes out. To me, Pete, I don't, it's hard to say the season's still going the way it can. I mean, they're, they're in line. They're still very much in contention for an NFC North title. But for a team now that has had a lot of difficulty establishing a solid run game, although the defense has been excellent, the idea now, the fact that you do not have your, your stud quarterback anymore. I think changes the course of the season here. Granted, there's still a lot to play, but I think it's a huge deal that that you no longer have
3: that. And the last thing I'd say on that whole topic is, uh, why didn't we go after a Will Levis? Why didn't we go after Hendon Hooker? Why didn't we go somebody in the draft a little bit higher, maybe third round or something, when we had the opportunity to do it and we didn't do it? And learn from a guy
2: like Kirk Cousins, like you said. You're you're 100% right. This will be a, a recurring theme and a missed opportunity from the past, what three to five seasons, three four seasons that the that the Vikings have not taken advantage of and not found a backup option for Kirk Cousins. We've said that so many times, and and now here it is. You have that time, so you did They did the best they could. I like the I, I like the signing of Dobbs. You you give up almost nothing to get him, so maybe you see what happens and, and you surprise yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Take a quick break. Come back. We'll turn our sights uh, to some Minnesota Wild hockey. They uh, beat New York last night in a very exciting shootout. Jesse Pierce will join us next to talk about that. You're listening to The Huddle. Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions
0: in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even
1: podcasts. Whatever you love.
0: You deserve this ice cold reward, Madella, the remarkable fighter.
2: Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> Welcome back to the huddle, Minnesota Wild. Get a shootout win over the New York Rangers last night. Jesse Pierce of the Bar Down Beauties podcast, as well as writer for NHL.com, Minnesota Wild. She's everywhere. Jesse, good morning. Thanks for joining us. On the of John course. Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys?
2: I'm. We're great. We're great. Thank you. It was nice uh, nice for to get wins from both sides uh, of the river last night. Timberwolves and the Wild get a victory. Um, it, I hate the saying, and it's been thrown around, I hate the saying that games are must-win or this is the biggest season-changing win <laughs> in November. But with what this team's gone through in the past week to now, uh, with lineup switches and everything, How big was this win truly at this early in the season?
1: I mean, it was, it was a crucial win, a critical win almost to right the ship. I mean, a lot of talk has been made about inside the locker room about the wild missing their swag and certainly a shootout victory in dominant fashion uh, helped get that swag back. So, Stop the bleeding of a four-game losing streak, and yes, it's early. But just in general, the way that the Minnesota Wild have been playing really wasn't the identity that you expected from them. And I think last night is more of what's to come and uh, what you'll see moving forward.
3: And Jesse, like you said, uh, lost four in a row. They lost six of the last seven. Uh, as, as far as the goaltending, what, what do you think is going on this year where that, that was such a big strength of the, the Wild last year, but it seems like it's been a little bit more difficult so far?
1: It's been a struggle, but I don't know that that's necessarily just on the goaltending either. I think there's been some defensive breakdowns, some lapses. Uh, you saw Dean Ebsen try to correct that by putting Damon Hunt in yesterday and scratching John Merrill just to get a different look at some different pairs and see what they can do. And, of course, they're without their captain, Jared Spurgeon. I am at the outdoor practice for the Wild right now. Spurgeon is on the ice, so that bodes well moving forward as he inches yeah. closer and closer to a return. Um, but, you know, I don't want to pin it necessarily all on the goalies. Could they be better? Of course, but so could everybody on the Minnesota Wild during that losing streak, and, uh, again, I think they're ready to step up coming off that big victory against the Rangers last night.
2: Jesse Pierce joining us at the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline this morning. You talk about the defense, and, I, Jesse, I just I feel like we've seen this before where when the Wild have a really hot goaltender, and the, and this time it's Phillip uh, Gustafson, that the defense sometimes isn't as good. I remember watching it happen when Devin Dubnyk was in that. or you know, that that letdown because you. The thought is that the goalie is going to save the day. Is that what's happening, or or is it really, truly just a lost core without Jared Spurgeon in there?
1: I mean, of course, there's a little bit of loss. I think when you're missing a guy like Jared Spurgeon, not only your captain, not only a leader, but that constant that the Minnesota Wild have relied on for so long on the defensive floor uh but i think you're absolutely right dave there's a lot of confidence in Philip augustus and mark andre flurry for the defensemen rightfully so so sometimes i think you do you get caught maybe allowing a little bit too much to slip past knowing that you have some pretty good goaltending now certainly as uh, as we had mentioned it's been a little shaky as of late so that might push the defense to tighten up just a little bit and then that goes to show too. The Minnesota Wild have played some really good opponents during the opening start of the season, which is only going to get tougher. So a credit where credit's due. Everybody in this league is tough. So you've got some young defense, and Brock Faber has fit in seamlessly, but you've got Dakota Mermis and Damian Hunt who are trying to step up and and do their part, but they're still young. They're still learning. So uh, I think Minnesota Wild fans might also be missing Matt Dumba a little bit more than they anticipated, another big piece that uh, obviously didn't return this year. But all in all, I'm not too nervous. It's still early, and I think the defense is starting to get it together little by little, game by game.
3: And, Jesse, it makes sense that you're not too nervous because I think there's some players out there that are playing extremely well, Zuccarello and Kaprizov and Erickson and Hartman. Are they going to be able to convert that into much more in terms of wins, do you think? If they continue on the pace that they are, I would, I would think that's going to be something very, very positive for the Wild as we get for, move forward.
1: I mean, they've done it before, right? You go back two years when Ryan Hartman had a career year. Julek Sneck was on the verge of a career year. Matt Zuccarello. Um, it's, it's something that they know they can do. It's within them. Now, are they going to necessarily be relied upon to do that? Probably not because you have Kirill Kaprizov, Marco Rossi, and Matt Boldy, three players that have really showed that they can step up and, and do their thing. Kirill Kaprizov? Still struggling just a bit to find the back of the net, but he's out there trying every night. And Marco Rossi, oh my goodness, boys, I feel bad that I ever questioned this young man's skill because he's certainly proving all of us naysayers wrong this year by having an absolutely tremendous year, whether it shows up on the score sheet or not. So he's been a really, really fun, good player to watch for the Wild.
2: Uh, Jesse, you and everyone else who questioned Marco Rossi over the past couple of years, by the way, and and I'm thrilled that you you brought him up because – I think the only thing more
1: desired than maybe a solid Vikings
2: offensive lineman over the years is the Wild having a number one center. Is Marco Rossi, has he finally, he looked fantastic last night. Um, has he finally stepped in? Have we found a legitimate number one center for Minnesota Wild?
1: I think they are pretty darn close. Now, as we want to save some criticism through 11 games, I also want to save too much praise through 11 games, but so far he has been absolutely tremendous, not only on winning the faceoffs, but getting that big body in front, kind of like Jewel Eriksson eck right? That's what makes Jewel Eriksson eck so strong up the middle is putting that net front presence, and that's something in those first two glimpses, first two seasons we saw Marco Rossi, I didn't see much of. I didn't see really that body presence, and this year that was something Bill Guerin really stressed to Marco to work on in the offseason. He put on the 15 pounds. He's done the work, boys, and I love to see it, so I think he is very very close but i will of course save face and say not just yet let's pause for a moment but uh i love what i'm seeing so far
3: hey jesse how about the vegas knights have you had a chance to watch them and it's it, the ironic thing is they're essentially undefeated they had the overtime loss but they lost to the blackhawks of all teams to lose to is not that do you find that one pretty interesting and are, are they as good as what it certainly appears that they are in terms of their record so far
1: I mean, you're right. It certainly appears so. I saw that they beat the Avalanche 7-0 to last <laughs> night, which scares the living daylights out of me, guys. It's absolutely insane. I mean, Colorado has proven how hard it is to go back-to-back. There's very few teams that have done it. Tampa Bay Lightning was able to figure it out, uh, and Vegas seems to be on that path. Now, again, it's early, and certainly the loss to the Blackhawks first, but it also reminds you that you have to give it your all against every single team. Every team is beatable. Every game is losable. Uh, you know, Chicago did just that against Vegas, but they certainly are a team to beat in the West. It's going to be really hard to knock off them raining chance because they seem to have all the pieces figured out in their goaltending, which is probably the biggest question coming into the season, has looked all right. But they also don't need good goaltending when they're putting the puck in the net like they are. So definitely a team to fear a little bit. Uh, we'll see what happens to them as the season progresses.
2: Jesse, I always appreciate your time. I know how busy you are, and I know practice is probably wrapping up, so you got to go get some interviews. Thanks for giving us some time on a Sunday morning.
1: Always, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thank
2: Jesse. you, Jesse. Jesse Piers, NHL.com, Barred Down Beauty's bod- podcast as well. Uh, fantastic hockey mind, by the way. She just she knows the game so well. Always love having her on. Take a quick break, and we'll skip over to Timberwolves. Chris Hines from the Star Tribune is going to join us. Coming up next, you are listening to 830-WCCO. The Minnesota Timberwolves beat Utah last night. Nice game by them all around. A nice big win as well. Chris Hine covers the Timberwolves for the Minnesota Star Tribune. Joining us this morning on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Chris, good morning.
4: How you doing? Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you for coming on. Thanks for moving to the uh, the next hour so we could get all of our gopher angst out uh, in hour number one. So appreciate that. We moved Chris up (laughs) to the second... Thank you. Completely There's plenty of... It.
4: There needs to be an airing of grievances.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm just happy we don't have to air grievances about the Wolves because it was a fun game. That was a fun game to watch last night. Um, I, I don't... I want to go directly first to, to Nas Reed because I love what he brings to the lineup Where where you put him in, he can play with Cat, he can play with Rudy, he, he can play with Andy. He just kind of fits in so many places so well. 16 points a game this year. When is this because, is he so effective because he is used sparingly, or is he a guy that eventually, do you think, will warrant some more playing time in this offense?
4: Well, I think, you know, if he was on another team, he'd probably be warranting more playing time or, or getting, you know, even a starting job elsewhere, but he chose to come back here, even knowing, you know, that Carl and Rudy were going to be kind of ahead of him on the pecking order. But I think what makes Nas so effective is he is so quick in his decision making on the offensive end. He plays fast. Um, He's very skilled um, and he's a smart player as well. Like he he knows when he has like mismatches, he knows where, where to space. Um, he takes good shots. He makes good decisions. I think the the one thing that people uh, should appreciate about his game is just how smart and, and effective he is um, just making decisions and running the offense. Like, he runs kind of the way Chris Finch wants to play offense, I think almost better than almost anybody on the team does because it's mo- it's ball movement for the sake of moving it. It's It's making – Making reads and decisions quickly, and just whatever you do, you do it fast, and it just meshes really well with how this team wants to play offense.
3: And Chris, I, I totally agree with you. As a matter of fact, when we lost uh, him to a bit of an injury last year, I thought that was a big blow for the team. Is the chemistry this year between Gobert and uh, and Big Cat? Is that it? Seems like it's starting out. At least it seems like it's better. It seems like it's improved and and just how they're playing and how how Rudy has essentially found himself back where he used to be which is he's in there making the making things happen with rebounds and of course you got cat from the outside so it seems like that chemistry is finally starting to come together
4: I think I think you kind of hit it there. I think Rudy is back to being who Rudy was, or at least very close to who he was in in Utah. Um, I think Rudy has looked really good, um, especially on the defensive end through these first five games here. He really does look like the Rudy Gobert of old. He admits as much as well. He says he feels physically as good as he's ever been. Um, last year, he was kind of hurt coming into training camp, coming off of uh, playing for France in the summer. So he was dealing with a, a bit of an, an, an injury coming in, looked slow, looked kind of sluggish. This year, it's been the opposite. And their defense is really excelling as a result. Um, you know, they have the number one defense in the NBA right now holding four of their five opponents to under 100 points. And so I I think on offense, too, it's been a little less clunky than it was a year ago. These guys are figuring out how to play with each other. And to me, it's not just like on offense, it's not just the, the Carl and Rudy equation. It's how Ant figures into all that with them and how Ant plays off of them or is able to get to the basket so so to me i think you know that that's been a little more of a work in progress i think on the offensive end so far last night was really the first game all season where both Ant and cat had efficient shooting nights mm-hmm. um, so that to me is is kind of where this team is still a work in progress but defensively i think they've looked great
2: That's the voice of Chris Hine joining us in the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. He is the fantastic beat writer for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, coming off a big win last night. Uh, Chris, defensively, uh, this team looks, especially in the paint when you have Rudy in there, he's, he's so dominant on those boards. I feel like there's still some room to grow, and we, we talked about this in our first hour on that transition. I felt like a couple times last night, especially in that second quarter, Utah was able to have some wide-open looks at threes coming off that transition. Yeah. Does that get better once guys get healthier, or, or is there a concerted effort by the team now to try to eliminate those?
4: Oh, it's, it's a concerted effort. They know that their biggest weakness Um, arguably their biggest weakness on the defensive end of the floor is transition. Um, It's transition and making sure that they're rebounding at at a high rate. Those are the two things that killed them a season ago. Otherwise they played fine defense. Like in the half court, this team is as good as any team in the NBA in half court defense. It's all the other things that, that tend to get them. It's second-chance points, and it's the transition opportunities. And honestly, the, one of the things that's connected to transition defense is actually the offense. Like, if you play smart offense and you're not taking bad shots and you're hitting shots, you're going to limit uh, transition opportunities for the other team. I think they've done a pretty good job overall, except for a few, a few quarters so far this season. I think they've done a pretty good job limiting teams in transition. Last night was their worst rebounding game of the season. I think Utah got into the 20s in terms of second mm-hmm. chance points, but that's the first time that's really happened all season for them too. So I think the frequency with which they have these kind of letdowns in those areas is is the big thing. They might, they might have it for you know a quarter or a, a shift in a, in a game, as long as they don't have it for an entire game or they only have a, a bad game every so often in these areas i think that's a that's a big improvement for this team because last year it seemed like every night they were either getting killed in transition on the glass or both
3: chris who would we uh, who would you expect to be somebody that we're not even talking about right now? He's not one of the starters, but somebody who you think has really stepped up and is really ready to make that next step forward to be a great player in the NBA. Is, that, is it McDaniels? Is it McLaughlin? Is it, who, who would that be for you right now?
4: Uh, to me, I, I don't think we've seen uh, the best of Jaden McDaniels so far. He was hurt for the first two games. Uh, he was in foul trouble last night. So to me I think there's there's still room for, for McDaniels to really come on and, and, and show what he's got. You know, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Um you know, guys around the league will even tell you that. Um I and I've really been impressed each season. I feel like his offensive game has really grown. He's shown more of what he can do on that end of the floor. And he's not gonna be you know, in this current configuration of the roster Uh, he's not going to be a main guy or a featured guy in the offense. He has to find, kind of find his way, um, work within the flow and structure of what the Wolves are trying to do to try to get his, you know, get his looks and get his shots. But I've always been a, just a big fan of how, how hard he plays. And each year i've I've watched him just grow his game more and more on the offensive end he's 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 pretty good off the dribble he's a he's a very good shooter he's gotten better every year in terms of hitting open threes, which is huge for for this team if he can keep up at that clip He's just off to a little bit of a slow start um you know the injury obviously affecting that, maybe playing himself back into shape a little bit after missing some time. Um, so I would I would keep an eye on him I think there's still much more to come from, from him
2: Chris, last one for you uh, Watching Anthony Edwards play it, It's just such It's such a pleasure to be able to see a guy like that Compete like he does uh, And be as successful as he is Do you see A season, maybe this one Or in the near future where he's a legitimate MVP candidate?
4: You can see it, I, I think the potential is there And I think that He is trying to fine-tune his game to get to that point. You know, one of the things he's trying to add this year is a legitimate mid-range game where he has been lacking in his first couple seasons of his career. And I think a lot of this, too, is on Ant just improving and keeping maturing um, throughout his career here. You know, one of the things that, that makes you know, an MVP candidate and or an all NBA player is just the consistency with which they hit. Right. You don't have a great game, you know, one or two out of every five, you have a great game, you know, four out of every five games. Right. Like that, that is kind of the the difference between a good player and somebody who reaches that level. So it's having that consistency. It's making smart decisions on the offensive end of the floor He's, you know, I think a, a a willing defender on the ball. He has to keep improving off the ball. Um but I think the the competitiveness, the the desire to get better are there. I, I, nobody's ever questioned his drive. It's just all about finding his way in this league. He's still 22. Um, so I, I do think that the, the the future is is bright in that regard. It's just all about building the building that consistency uh, night in and night out,
2: and hoping we get to keep him in Minnesota for a long time. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you.
4: No problem. Thank
2: you, Chris thanks, Hines Chris. from from the Star Tribune, great beat writer for the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll take a quick break and uh, finish up our show this morning, chatting about NFL. Contracts Should they all be guaranteed? Should every player be getting a guaranteed contract? There is one NFLer that thinks so. We'll talk about that coming up next on the huddle. <laughs> Welcome back. Micah Parsons uh, definitely started a little bit of a fire on social media this week. If you haven't seen it, uh, after the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels this week, uh, Micah Parsons went on x Twitter, Twitter x, whatever you want to call it and and said quote but oh so so sorry, I skipped McDaniels was fired in the second season of a six year contract worth approximately ten million a year he 'll receive the entire contract. this is in the s i article, despite being nine and sixteen with the team, which you could argue getting ten million for that, you know, but that that 's the way it is uh, and Parsons goes on. X Twitter, Twitter X, uh, and says, but players can't get full and guaranteed money. LOL, bleep's a scam. I hmm. uh, believe he used the word, I will not. Uh, the NFL, the article also says the NFL is your only organization among the major North American sports league that does not provide all players with a fully guaranteed contract. Here's my problem with this. There's, I have two very big con- problems with this. Number one, Micah, no one is forcing you to sign the contract that they give you. If you don't like the terms of it and you're good enough, By all means, hold out for more money. Get the money you want. Case in point: Kirk Cousins and his eighty-four million dollars fully guaranteed contract that he got when he was when he first came to Minnesota, which people went crazy over. But you can get it if you want it. You just have to be in a position to get that. Number one. Number two. There is zero chance if I'm an owner, and that includes the owner and of the Minnesota Vikings. There is zero chance if I'm an owner that I'm okay with a guaranteed contract for a football player. The, this game is so violent and so it can change so quickly with an injury that if you give a guy guaranteed money on a three or four year deal and he gets hurt in year one or two, you, you've completely wasted everything. You, you you've thrown your money away. So as an owner, I would have a lot of problems with giving with ever giving a, a guaranteed contract and. It's the most violent sport there is. And and you can deny that if you want to. Hockey's maybe close. But it's the most violent sport, and and it is the one that there comes with it the most inherent risk of injury. And to me, that's why I don't think guaranteed contracts are going to become a thing that we regularly talk about in the NFL.
3: Well... You know, there's so many different factors to this whole thing, too, Dave. I mean, he's trying to compare players to coaches. Yeah. And, and and it's interesting because the salary cap for the players is is what it is, right, based upon TV revenue and the whole mm-hmm. deal. Uh, as far as I know, the coaches aren't a part of that. So it, 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 it's, it's a different thing. These are billionaire owners that we're talking about, right? And it's not point. that they can't afford certain things, but the reality is, okay, so you wasted that money. The, that's not coming away from the players. They've the the money wasted on the coaches is coming away from the the team itself. So it's it's an interesting thing. I'm not sure that uh, it makes any sense to your point, especially with the, the way you pre- presented it. I think it's exactly right. It, if they want to break down the NFL and, and and potentially cause it to have some sputtering and, and so forth after it's been doing so well, I think this is the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> is, is to guarantee every single player because it you know it, it for me it just doesn't make sense i don't think he had thought through the entire thing before no say yeah, i know that's you shocking. don't think <laughs> he thought it all the way through before he got on twitter x <laughs> <laughs> but but it's an interesting thing you know i understand where he's coming from probably i mean i think where he's coming from is hey we're players we we're, we're putting our bodies out there and blah 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 and we should we should get this but Uh, what 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 he doesn't understand is this this could hurt him and other players even more so if everybody because think about it if it's 250 million dollars for a team or whatever it might be at the time uh how much is it that it's getting flushed out for all those players that uh, have those guarantees that are no longer there but the guarantee is there so that 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 works against him how does that work when you try to negotiate your contract and you you, there's no money to give you Uh, exactly there's just a lot of things that i don't think were were thought through to be honest with you but i i kind of understand where he's coming from it's just that he has to look at that on a piece of paper and understand this money goes here this money goes there this money goes there and they are in different uh areas and it's just something that he's uh i think he just didn't quite understand that part of it
2: well, and you said it, Pete, and I agree with you. Coaches are different than, than players. And I understand, you know, in college football when the argument was made that why should coaches be able to bounce around without any sort of uh, repercussions of it when they bring a kid in, they promise them four years, and then they leave after one. Yeah. And then that kid is stuck in a program of playing for a coach that he, he didn't promise to play for. So I understood why that was changing. But uh, you're right. In, in the pros, it just doesn't make sense. But again – You can, you can argue for it if you want to. You can, you can. If you don't like the terms of your contract, then get yourself a new contract. Mm -hmm. And that's just don't agree to it. You don't have to. No one is forcing you to take millions of dollars a year to play a kid's game. Mm
1: -hmm. That's up to you. You don't have to.
2: I think the point being made is the all the other leagues have it, and they have it in large part because of the collective bargaining agreements that they've negotiated with the entire union. And the, the mm-hmm. NFL union is so – the players union is, is so weak uh, at, at negotiating these things that it's impossible for the players to actually get those contracts, even if maybe in a different scenario they could. But what is his end game? Because the next CBA is not up until 2030. You know, mm-hmm. like it, that's the thing. That It's not like this is going to – they're not going to come back to the bargaining table in here. Like, like Pete had said, I don't think he really thought this through before. He just threw it out there.
3: Mm-hmm. Which happens, and, and and it's going to keep happening. I, I, we all know that there are some numbers out there that we've seen where we've seen that guaranteed money for quarterbacks, but now all of a sudden you're looking and you're seeing it, it not quite what it once was, and I'm talking about when I say once was, just a couple of years ago with Cleveland, for instance, right, and the, the amount of money that they gave and they guaranteed the entire thing. I just don't know if that's uh, something that everybody yeah. is going to be doing for for the contract negotiations. Yep. And and they're going to try. They're going to try to get as much as they can guaranteed, and that part I'm okay with. But to get guarantee the entire thing over however many years, um, at some point that would be, come back to bite the players more than they even think.
2: Yeah, Dave, you know what I think the end goal was? I What's think that? Th- I think the end goal is exactly what we do here every single Sunday. He just wanted to complain. <laughs> he just <laughs> wanted to complain <laughs> for the sake of complaining. He said, you know I'm what? Right. I just want to get it out in the open. I just want to, you know, just say it to say it. I don't think that's a better I don't think there's a better way to finish our show, Charlie. It it he did it just so he can complain. Like we do for 2 hours every Sunday, gentlemen. Everywhere. And today was a blast. As it always is, uh we will see you next Sunday. Enjoy your slate of NFL games. Pete, Charlie, always a pleasure. Everybody have a great week.